Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Morning to you. Uh, if you would allow me, I want to take just a minute or two myself also and say something about house groups. And I think that's because house groups is so core to who we are as a renovation church. I think house groups actually may be the most unique thing about this church. Uh, not only because the format of house groups is really unique, uh, but also because right around 80% of our adults are in a house group. That's really different. The national average for church participation in a small group is about 20 or 22%. 80% of our adults are in a house group, in part because they work and they're different and they're amazing. You know, I've talked to so many of you who are new here in the last year or so, and so many of you come up and you just are, are raving about the new house group that you just joined six months ago or a year ago. In fact, I would say in about half of the renovation rundown meetings I've led in the last year, the renovation rundown is like our newcomers meeting. I get to the part about house groups and someone will interrupt me. And they'll say, oh, sorry, David, if I could just, if I could just address the whole group for a second. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, I guess, right? And they say, every time they say, hey, just so you guys all know, we joined a house group like a month ago or two months ago and it's amazing. <laughs> and they tell the whole group, okay, well, why, why is that happening? What's, what's going on there? What's happening is that God made you. He created you to thrive in your faith with other people, not by yourself. You know, this is a truth that's confirmed uh, by both Christian and secular psychologists and sociologists. They will tell you that one of the main reasons that in America right now that anxiety and depression are just skyrocketing, one of the main reasons for that is that we are lonely. We're incredibly more lonely than our grandparents, our great-grandparents, a generation. I mean, just think about it. You, you wake up in the morning, you go to work. Many of you, you don't actually even go to a place called work anymore. You work at home, in your bedroom, right? Or in the basement, and then at night, what do we do? We look at our screens and our devices, and so few people in your life actually know what's going on in here anymore, or in here, and we're lonely. But the thing is, God has laid out a plan for you in his word, based on how he made you, for how you can thrive. And a huge part of that is by having other people around you who are gonna help you grow spiritually. So please, even if you're a little bit on the fence on it, I encourage you, trust God, trust the plan that he has laid out for you. Take a leap, even if you're like, oh, I'm not sure when Patrick was up here three minutes ago, grab that card and begin to just fill it out and just trust the Lord, okay? All right, let's get into our series. We are starting actually a brand new uh, four-week series this morning uh, called Worthy. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna teach through John chapter five in the Bible. So go ahead and grab a Bible. There's Bibles underneath uh, every chair uh, in front of you or they're under you if you're in the first row. John chapter five is actually a really interesting chapter in the Bible in that there's a number of stories and teachings that you don't find anywhere else in the other gospels about Jesus. That is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we find Jesus kind of at the beginning of the chapter in an interesting place. So you're gonna to wanna to be, if you're using the Bibles here, page 727, and then find that uh, big number five, that's the beginning of chapter five, and we will start right there. Here's what it says. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate. Uh, the Sheep Gate is this, so uh, uh, the temple in Jerusalem, around the temple there was a big 
um, basically wall, and the wall had different gates into it, and they all had names, and one of the gates was the sheep gate. It's actually where they led in the sheep for the sacrifices. So the sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic, that's the language they spoke, is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, a couple quick notes here. First, notice that our story today is gonna take place at a pool called Bethesda. Fascinatingly enough, for many, many centuries, skeptics would always point to John chapter five, and they would say John chapter five is the perfect example of why the Bible is not true, and it just simply isn't accurate. And here's what they would say. They would say, people for centuries have been walking around the temple area in Jerusalem where it used to be, and there is no pool or colonnades, so obviously the Bible is fairy tale, it's fanciful, it's not true. Well, in 1888, there was an archeologist by the name of Konrad Schick, a German archeologist. Guess what he dug up right next to the sheep gate in 1888? The Pool of Bethesda, along with five covered colonnades, exactly what the Bible describes. Pretty amazing. And so even if there's places where like, oh, I'm not sure, it's just amazing what we've found, especially in archeology span the last 150 years. Secondly, I want you to look really closely now at verse four. So everybody do this, look at verse four. And you'll notice there actually isn't a verse four. You see that? Okay, what you see is there's a footnote there, there's a letter, in the Bible's here at church, it's the letter B. So find that corresponding letter in the footnotes at the bottom of the page, and let's, let's actually read it. It says this, it says three and four, some manuscripts include here holy or in part paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Okay, what's happening here? Well, the reason that we know what's in our Bibles in the first place is because basically all of the ancient manuscripts, scrolls we've discovered of the Bible from long, long ago, they basically all say the same thing, which is great. That's amazing. However, there are a few rare examples, and this happens to be one of them in our passage today, where it appears that a copyist at a later date added a note to explain something. And so what they're saying in that footnote is that most of the earliest copies that we have of the Bible don't actually have verse four. So it's likely that verse four isn't actually in the Bible. Now if you have a really old translation like the King James that was written 400 years earlier before we had more of these manuscripts dug up, you're gonna find verse four in there. But in here, just because people might have some familiarity with it from the old versions, it's not in there. However, it's not actually something to really fret about too much because verse four is actually still probably true because it's reconfirmed by the following verses. So let me keep reading and I think it'll make more sense. So we're at verse five. It says, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Okay, a couple of things here. Uh, firstly, you see, if you look at verse seven, we see actually the same point and the same story that we read in our footnote, it's reinforced. And apparently there was an angel that would come and stir up the water of the pool of Bethesda and the first person in would get healed. Now it sounds kind of like an odd story, right? Like kind of an odd healing, I guess. But yet, 
When you read through the entire Bible, you see all sorts of unique and odd healings, right? In the book of Acts, people were getting healed because they touched an apron that Paul touched, right? In the Old Testament, Moses holds up a bronze snake and people who look at it get healed. Uh, Naaman gets healed of his leprosy because he dips in the river seven times. Like, there's no clear-cut formula here to God's healing. But you have this invalid, and as an invalid, he's, this basically means he's very, very sick. I mean, he can barely move. He's not very functional. He's been this way for 38 years. And somehow he's found his way to the pool at Bethesda because he wants to be healed. And I gotta tell you, verse seven, it just messed with me this week. I don't know what the Lord was doing, but it just did. Look, put your eyes on it. It says this. He says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. I just thought, right there, I have no one to help me. He wants to get healed. He, he wants to experience the power of God. And yet, when the waters are stirred, he's looking around saying, but who will help me? Because at that point, what happens? It's every man and woman for themselves. And they all rush. And he's going, but who will help me? And I was just studying, and I was just praying through this passage this week, and I just thought, and how many people are there all over this city who are just like this man? Men and women that are looking for answers, they're looking for help, but no one will help them. You know, in a middle-class suburb like this, you know, we don't have a, a lot of people who are in deep, deep poverty like this man, but we have a lot of people who are in spiritual poverty. I don't know if you've seen, they updated the green city limits signs for Blaine. Anybody notice that? Do you see how many people live here now? Anyone know? Rounded? I'm sorry, I love details. I know stuff like this all the time. Over 70,000 people live in Blaine now. Incredible. And surely in a city this size, there are absolutely people that are going, who will help me? There are people in this city who right now, this week, they are watching their marriages disintegrate in front of their eyes. And they're thinking, who will help me? I don't want this to happen, but I don't know what to do. Who will help me? I mean, how many of you, you have neighbors that drive by you, you, you see them driving home at the end of a work day, right? And they see you, and what do they do? They're very suburban, so they go like this, they go, right? <laughs> and what happens when they get by you? Do you know what happens? For most people, they go like this. And many of them, they go into their garage, and they deal with whatever they're dealing with, which for a lot of people, the hidden things, especially in a suburban area like this, we don't share it. But in here, or in here, life is hard. And there are many, many people in this city, we don't have to go to a different country, in this city, that are thinking, who will help me? I don't know what to do. And as Romans 10 so famously says in the Bible, how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? Church, this is our mission. It is to follow Jesus and help others do the same. And we will not rest until every person in this city has at least heard the gospel. And there are so many around us that are they're looking for help, they're looking for God, but I think they're kind of like the man in this story. Like, they're looking for something, but they don't truly really know what they're looking for. Like that man, what he thought he was looking for was just someone to help him get to the pool, not understanding that the very thing that he was truly needing was the man standing next to him. And our mission is to help people realize that, to realize just how worthy Jesus is. That's a major theme of this whole chapter. You know, next, next Sunday for our church is a family fun day. 
he does a huge outreach where we are gonna share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with so, so, so many people right from our community. So if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, after each service here, the kids are gonna get a wristband as they kind of leave their rooms uh, to go to the inflatable zone uh, there. Every kid, every adult will also get two free tickets uh, to get food truck items. We're gonna have a ton of food trucks there. So right after the service you attend here, you and the unchurched person you are bringing with you will leave this service and they'll, you'll get in your car, you'll go across the street over to Sunrise Elementary, and that's where we're gonna have this huge field of inflatables and a ton of food trucks. Now, I know actually oh, well over half of you are new since we last did this event. And so what you might not know is this event is actually our biggest outreach of the year next to Easter, and it's not far behind it. It's, uh, this, this event is bigger than Christmas for our church. And the pre-registrations that have been coming in so far are just jaw-dropping. So first-time visitors have to uh, pre-register. You don't have to pre-register, so please don't, because I'll throw everything off, right? But the first-time visitors, they have to pre-register, and they're doing so at such a crazy rate that as our staff began to kind of run the numbers and look at the data this, this week, about Wednesday into Thursday, we realized we're gonna be absolutely totally full. Totally full. And so we began talking about, praying about adding a fifth service to make room. So we have chairs here for, I mean, this is a normal Sunday, right? Take a look around. <laughs> we're gonna have a huge outreach. How, how are we gonna have seats for your friends, for your family members? Maybe you t- many of you have already told me, like, my brother is coming, I can't believe he's coming. My neighbor is coming, I can't believe they're coming. We, we have to have a chair for them, okay? And so we began processing through, how are we gonna do that? But honestly, if I can just be totally vulnerable with you, uh, we wrestled with it, I wrestled with it. We already didn't have enough volunteers to do four services. It's a lot of work, it's a sacrifice. I don't think I've actually ever preached five times in a row on one day. I know this is really hard on our staff. Our staff, as this church is growing at like a meteoric rate right now, they're tired, they're exhausted, and yet it seems like every 30 minutes, I can see it on my computer, there's a little ping, there's another family that registers. And then again, and again, and they wanna come see what's happening here, and they want to know Jesus. And there's others of them that they want to know Jesus, they just don't know yet that they want to know Jesus. And I mean that in a semi-serious way, it's subconscious for them at this point. I think of Kelly Anderson in our church. Uh, Many of you know Kelly Anderson. Uh, If you don't, Kelly is the leader of our amazing follow-up team here. So she works with all of the many new believers we have every week. And if you don't know this about Kelly, here's an amazing fact about her. Kelly actually got saved at our very first Family Fun Day event years ago when she claimed that she was just coming for the food trucks. (laughs) And yet deep down, and she might not have even understood it at this time, she was looking for more and the gospel just got a hold of her that day. It began to transform her and her family. And I just think, how many other Kellys are there in Blaine and beyond right now that God can do that with next Sunday? How many people are looking and they're saying, who will help me? I will tell you who, we will. And so we're gonna add a service at two o'clock next Sunday. Uh, that's okay, just, if, uh, Pronto Pups takes great at about 3.30 or so, so it'll be fine. <laughs> But one of the reasons that I want you to understand that this is such a leap of faith uh, for our church is because we just need an incredible amount of people. It's not like we just say, well, add another service, and it just happens, right? So in order to pull this off, we figured out at the end of last week that we would need 128 more volunteers. 
So we mentioned a few weeks ago that we needed 100 some, and we were filling about 30 spots per week. We needed to fill 128 spots in about three hours this morning. And so just to give you an update, I just checked. So we had a number of people sign up to help this morning at first service. We had 128, now we need 77. So progress, we're on our way there. What we actually need, we need 23 more people to help out at Sunrise Elementary. It's like doing inflatables and parking and cotton candy and all that kind of stuff. And our biggest need is we actually need 54 more people here. Because if you think about it, we're putting on a whole nother service, right? There's parking, there's greeters. Our biggest need actually is for those of you that already serve in Renovation Kids, it's to be in Renovation Kids at that extra service. So we need 77 more people. I don't know how we're going to do that in the next two hours, but I tell you all the time to pray the impossible. So we've been praying the impossible, asking God to just show himself in our church this morning. Because I just, this is what ultimately pushed me over the edge as I just wrestled this week. I, I don't want to be here next week and see a new family coming and having to watch our greeters say, I'm so sorry, we're full. And have that new family walking back to their car saying, but who will help me? And I, was, I was just stuck trying to just seek the Lord saying, like, what do we do, what do we do? And for whatever reason, uh, Luke chapter 10 came to mind. And Luke 10 is the, the parable, the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. And also in that story, you have a man who's hurt. He's, he's lying also by the side of the road. And the first two people, they just, they walk on by, right? Why? Well, because A, they kind of just don't want to mess with it, right? But they've got their own lives. They've got their own stuff. And they're, quite frankly, they're, they're busy, right? Well, it's the same problem, actually, in John chapter five. No one helps the invalid because, well, everybody's got their own stuff, right? It's every man and woman for themselves. And I think sometimes we live that way as American Christians, right? We live in this individualistic consumer society that says, yes, I love Jesus, I love him very much, but I've got my own schedule, my own family, my own things to do. And I just think, this is a sacrifice. I know I'm, I'm gonna, now that we're extending the services, I'm gonna miss out on something I was gonna do with my kids this afternoon, that afternoon. And I just think, ugh. But at the end of the day, I don't wanna live that way, I don't wanna miss out on what God can do just because it's hard. And so church, I just ask you, will you serve with me that day? Even if you already signed up to do kids at nine o'clock, will you go home, take a nap, and come back at two o'clock? Uh, if you were serving at 12.45, will you just stay an extra hour? There's a ton of you in this room because so many of you have come even this summer. You actually haven't had a chance yet to kind of step forward into serving with Renovation Church. This is an amazing opportunity. I mean, it's kind of fascinating what's happening here. This is happening almost nowhere else in this entire state. People around us in this city are drowning right now, and for whatever reason, we're not even necessarily going out, and we want to go out and share the gospel, but people are swimming here. And I want you to pick up an oar and be a part of it. So if you're new here, I would say this to you. I don't want you to come next week and just watch people come to Christ. I want you to let God use you to be a part of it and to be on that team. So there's really these three things I kind of want everybody to do for next week. Number one, this is the biggest thing. Who is it in your life, a friend, a family member, a coworker, that you just need to invite? 
and you need to have them come. It's just, one of the reasons people are registering so quickly is because it's an easy Sunday to come try church. Who do you need to bring with you? And if they're gonna come, they say to you, hey, I'm coming at 10, 15, and you're like, ugh, I'm supposed to be serving that service. Find someone else to serve for you. This trumps, ev- lost people trump everything, okay? And so you come, you sit by them, and you pray your heart out. And number two, I want you to pray. And so this event has taken us months to plan. You can't pull something off of this magnitude in just a week. We've planned and we've planned, but now we pray. And so next week, Pastor Josh and I are actually gonna be leading prayer meetings through this upcoming week. So on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, we're gonna have prayer meetings right here in this room from 6.30 to 7.30. There's children's ministry, even provided up to age eight, nine and above, just come pray with us, okay? And we wanna pray. We'd love for everyone to come to at least one of those. And let's pray the impossible, not just say, hey, we got everything planned. We're gonna trust God is gonna do that. No, we're gonna seek him on it. And then the third thing, so you invite, you pray, and the third thing is just what we've been talking about. Find a way to just serve that day. I want you to get your feet wet in serving and loving lost people. And that's kind of what the next part of the passage goes into, the last five or six verses. So let's go back to the word now. And we were in the middle of verse nine, right, right where it says uh, the day. So it says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. I just think that's crazy that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Okay, so you have these Jewish leaders. These are primarily, we see in the Gospels, Pharisees. Uh, If you're kind of newer to Christianity, you don't know that term as well. The Pharisees were the Jewish leaders that were really, really focused on rules and the law. And for them, they see this man, he's healed, he's carrying his mat, which again, you might think, yeah, what's the big deal? Well, okay, it was the Sabbath, and the Jews were supposed to rest on the Sabbath, which... Again, you'd think, yeah, but what's the big deal? Well, the Pharisees had actually created this really complex list of what was and what was not resting on the Sabbath. And literally on their list, one of the things that's not resting is carrying a load outside your home. So that's what they see, right? I mean, think about this. Here's this man. He's been looking for God. He just met the Son of God, right? He's been healed. He's walking down the road with a smile on his face that you can't even wipe off of his face because of what God just did, and all they see is sin. Whoa. Let me ask you what I think is one of the most important kind of underlying questions for us readers of this biblical passage today. The question is this, when you see people around you, people from the community that are just starting in their search for God, like this man, or just people that don't even know God yet, what do you see? How do you think about them in your mind? So maybe even think of some real people. When you see people in your extended family or at work, you see people that are making just wrong choices with their family, with their friends, they're going down the wrong path. How do you think about them? How do you talk about them? Or here's another one. Okay, think about like you're watching the news or you're you're catching up on the news on social media or whatever, and you're reading about people in our culture that are making so many crazy choices. Their values, their lifestyle is so different than yours. When you think about those people, how do you think about them? How do you feel about them? Are you stuck in political mode? 
like so many American Christians are, where you no longer see people that are hurting, but you see people that are different than you, and your first thought is, those liberals disgust me. You should nervously laugh right now. Uh, Those conservatives are just brain dead. How do you see people? How do you particularly see people that don't know God? Do you see people through the eyes of the Pharisees or do you see people through the eyes of Jesus? Because all the Pharisees can see is a man who isn't living like them. But Jesus sees a man whom no one would help and his heart goes out to him. I mean, I was struck by this question this week. One of the things we teach in studying God's word in Renovation U is that when you study a passage, one of the things you can learn is, one of the methods you can use to learn is you ask questions of the passage you study. And so, one of my questions for the text this week was, what's Jesus even doing at the pool of Bethesda? Right, like it's the Sabbath, he's in Jerusalem, he could be resting anywhere, he could be kind of hanging out at the temple. But here we see Jesus, the one that we all say that we want to imitate, and what is he doing? he goes to the place where all of the hurting people are so he can serve them. I think this is the big picture kind of long-term takeaway that we want to take from this passage. The eyes through which you see non-Christians will determine whether you're compelled in compassion towards them or repelled in disgust. And it's not that Jesus doesn't see their sin. It's not like he's like, oh, sin doesn't matter, I love everyone. He sees it. What does he do at the end of the passage? He confronts the guy about his sin, right? But Jesus looks deeper than just outward sin. And when he looks deeper, he sees someone who is saying, who will help me? Even if they don't even quite understand yet what that help looks like. And I think from a short-term perspective, church, we, just, we have an opportunity in front of us seven days from now to be a people who put God first above our own schedules, our own preferences, our own comforts, to be a people who put lost people first because the mission is worth it. You know, I watched the movie uh, this week, 13 Lives. Anybody seen that movie? Like f- four of you? Okay, I, I actually rarely give movie recommendations, but watch this movie. It's a movie of, you remember when the uh, 13 boys in Thailand were trapped in the cave for 18 days? So they made a movie of it. It's incredible, actually, totally uh, worth watching. And what struck me in the movie was how all the local people from the area were willing to do whatever it took to help get these boys out. Like, they knew they couldn't be in the caves diving for them, but they wanted to be a part of the group of the team that was going to do something to save them. There was one scene in particular, I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just really got to me. So they, they were trying to divert a lot. It just kept raining and raining and raining, and they're trying to divert a lot of the excess water off of the mountain because it was seeping down into the cave. But in order to do so, all that water was gonna go onto the local farmers' fields and essentially ruin their crops, devastate their income. So they get all the farmers together to ask permission first. And the farmers, they get together, they talk, and their spokesperson comes back. And they look to the leaders and they say this, they say, for the boys, we'll do it. Ruin our crop. (laughs) Why? Because they understood the stakes. And church, we must be a people. We can't can't do this consumeristic Christianity that American Christians have been caught in for so long, for a generation now. We must be a people that will say, for our city, we will do it. We'll do whatever it takes. 
And if we live with that mentality, then absolutely, we're gonna see people who were trapped get rescued. We're gonna see people who were living like they were paralyzed come back to life. Our God can do that. Our God's already doing it. He's been doing it every week, this summer and beyond. You know, I just gotta tell you, with so many people that are coming next week, and I just know we're gonna see so many people come to Christ. Because we've seen this so many times, I can almost guarantee you that next week, we're gonna see when the gospel's presented, we're gonna see a husband and a wife stand up together and accept Christ. I love when that happens. It happens almost every time when we do a big outreach. They stand up and they open their eyes and they look and there's their spouse standing up with them. It's beautiful. And as they stand up together, they're gonna be wiping away tears from their eyes, just in shock, honestly, at what God is doing, in awe of this love that they're experiencing in their heart. I mean, think back to what it felt like. This, this love they're experiencing in their heart that they just never previously knew. And then maybe 20 minutes later, what will happen is they'll be getting in their car with their kids. And one of their kids will say to them, Mommy, why, why are you crying? And she'll say, I'm just so happy because Daddy and I just found out that Jesus loves us And we want to tell you about that. And they will. And those kids will now grow up. That's what gets me every time with the gospel. It's the kids. Those kids are now going to grow up. No longer in a home that was being torn apart, but in a home of stability. This is the gospel lived out. This is its implications. In a home of stability, of love, in forgiveness, in a home where they meet Jesus, in a church family where they grow in Jesus. And let me tell you, someday, 80 years from now into the future, when that child is no longer a child but a grandparent themselves, and they're sitting on a rocking chair and they've got their extended family gathered together and they're telling them the story of how now their family for generations has been a follower of Jesus Christ. I will tell you, they will start that story on September 18th, 2022 at Renovation Church. That is what is gonna happen next week. And that is why you need to be a part of this. And it isn't just about next week. That is huge, that's what's in front of us. We gotta live it out. But it's about the rest of our lives, that we would be a people, as the world becomes polarized and we begin to look at each other with more and more hate, that no, we as followers, as imitators of Jesus in this passage, that we would look at lost people through the eyes of Jesus. Amen? Amen, let me pray. Lord, we just ask uh, here later in a a few minutes that we, we respond to this, that you use us as a church. God, to just be ready for all of the many people that you are bringing to hear of your goodness next week. We thank you for what you're doing here, that this building has been a city on a hill, and we just give you the glory for that, and we we ask that we respond now. In your name we pray. Amen.